greet you this morning in the precious name of Jesus, the one whom we are anticipating meeting someday in that city of light. Uh, I, I suppose it has to do with age, but you know, you, at least for me, I find, and I'm also reading through that book of, uh, I don't even remember the title of it, <laughs> Heaven is for Real, is that correct? Uh, but he brings numerous thoughts of the light and the experiences of people who had near-death experiences of some of their encounter. Whether that's all true or not, but it certainly there is some scripture, and again, that's one of the things I appreciate about his book is he brings a lot of scripture in that substantiates some of that vision and truth that is seen there. So, And that we can look forward to that time and, and meet each other in, in glory. Looking that way, this morning I'm going to look back the other way. I'm not sure what the term is. There's a term that's used kind of loosely in our culture, the retro. I'm not sure it applies to this sermon or not, but uh, I, uh, as I was contemplating what to share this week, I uh, flipped open, uh, I looked to see what was preached about uh, in the past, and uh, Thanks to uh, Arnie's date books, I, I started looking back. And uh, 30, 30 years ago, less or one week more, July 5th, uh, Arnie had recorded that I preached here at home on the subject of peace. And uh, I had actually considered that as a potential subject before and uh, felt like that was somewhat of a confirmation. Something I don't do very often is... is use my old notes. I find it more difficult to use old notes than I do new notes. And I'm not sure. It probably has something to do with my mental makeup. I'm not sure. But uh, it's harder to, to reheat that old sermon. And uh, so I, I struggle with that some. But uh, I'm going to share with you a lot of the content. It's been changed some, but uh, a lot of the content of that sermon from probably, I'm assuming that was a sermon I actually did not date, started out not dating my sermons. And uh, so this sermon is not dated, so I know it has to be one of the earliest sermons that I preached and uh, probably fits into that time frame. As I thought about the 92, I thought, well, there's going to be people here that maybe heard that sermon, but I, I'm thinking Arnie and Leona maybe were gone to the fellowship meetings at uh, uh, Kidron, Ohio. I was probably the only one left here. Sam, I think Sam and Frieda were here yet. I think they had gone. And Dwight and Darla weren't married. They were married in 93, I believe. Is that correct? Okay, uh, Lynn and Rachel may have been here. If you remember the sermon, well, I'm going to give you high marks. <laughs> Alice and Don the same way. I suppose they could have been here, but otherwise, I don't know if other my family may have been here. But uh, so I want to think about the subject of peace, using First Corinthians 14 as somewhat of a text, and then branching out from that. But so I thought about peace this morning. I after I was done doing chores. I, I walked home, which I do not do real often, probably should do more often. It's probably, uh, I've never actually measured it down the road and across the field up to that place where we live. It's probably a good mile. And uh, this morning, was the weather was just perfect for that kind of a walk. It was cool. There was not any humidity. And uh, so I, I walked home, and uh, a very peaceful walk in my expression, in my opinion. But as I walked along, I realized that it was not so peaceful for some of the God's creation that I was encountering. I walked by the cornfield that was lush and green and growing and didn't seem to be bothered by my observations or walk. Got down to the middle branch of the South Fork, middle branch of the South Fork of the Zumbro River. Is that right? Middle branch of the South Fork. Uh, 
And that was even peaceful flowing through there, real gentle-like. And uh, those of you that live close to us know that that does not always, is not always the case. Sometimes it's a flooded, muddy mess, and uh, I don't like it. But this morning it was peaceful, even it was peaceful. And as I cut in across the fields across by the pasture fence there, I had been checking the fence earlier this week, and I, I, I happened to own a on a bird's nest, I'm assuming it's a red-winged blackbird's nest, right hard against the fence, and there was this nest right where I was going over it with just one egg in it. And uh, so as I walked along, I thought, well, I better check on that nest again and see what's taking place there. Sure enough, there was that one egg there sitting there. Uh, Mom and Dad were about 20, 15, 20 feet above me. They were, they were not, their peace was disturbed. They were not happy that I was checking this nest out. One egg, I'm not sure what happened. Uh, is it a fluke? <laughs> I don't know. Seems like it should have hatched out. There should be more eggs there. I'm not sure. But anyway, it was still there. And as I continued on my walk toward home, I got into the backfield there, and there was Mama Deer with her twin fawns. And, uh, you know, she took one look at me and realized that I was disturbing her peace, and she flacked her, flicked her, her white tail at me. And you know what? Her two little fa- twin fawns did exactly the same thing. They flicked their tails at me and off into the woods. But, uh, you know, so I considered that a, a peaceful interlude. And, uh, but, you know, again, so saying all that, you know, peace is, is somewhat uh, subjective. You know, what do we determine is peaceful? You know, I thought it was peaceful. Uh, some of God's creation viewed it as unpeaceful, that I was invading their territory. As I thought about 30 years ago, I thought what was, I'm not sure what the motive was exactly what prompted me to preach that sermon 30 years ago, 1992. Uh, George H.W. Bush would have been president. Uh, the Gulf War I would have probably wrapped up just previous in 91, I believe, primarily. The conflict there. One of the first, I grew up in the Vietnam era. And I remember that conflict, but again, that was kind of winding down when I was just a young little boy. And uh, so this is one of the more major conflicts that involved our country. And I remember all the uncertainty that was being felt in our communities, in our day-to-day talk. And and uh, so that was that was the world setting. I I tried to reflect back on what was happening here in our communities at Prairie, and. Uh, this was 1992, would have been July 5th, 1992, when I preached this sermon, very likely. And uh, my wife would have been probably sitting in the audience with uh, about a one-month-old baby. That's our youngest son, Darren. Uh, just earlier this month, he celebrated his 30th birthday. Uh, congregational-wise, Sam and Frida were moving to southern Indiana, fresh start, I think a week Earlier that week, or remember the week before that, we had taken counsel as a congregation to uh, uh, Enos Yoder from Richmond Center had been over, and I would have forgot all about this, but uh, Enos Yoder had been over, and we took counsel, and we decided since Sam was leaving, we are going to at least wait a year to have a bishop ordination or uh, seek other uh, avenues, which we did then. We uh, enlisted Brother Lester Troyer as our uh, bishop over intern time there until Arnie was ordained. But uh, some, some of the congregational setting, I'm guessing... I'm not exactly sure how many families. I'm guessing the congregation is even maybe fuller today than it would have been 30 years ago. I'm not exactly certain on that. But uh, 
But you know, the, the thought that challenged me as I looked at 30 years ago and as I look at it today, peace is a subject that as children of God is something that I believe needs to be in the forefront of our, our, our lives. Peace. And, uh, it's just as relevant today as it was 30 years ago. And it's, if the Lord tarries for another 30 years, will I be here to preach another sermon? retrofit this sermon for 30 years down the road? Probably not. I don't know. And maybe you wouldn't want me to. <laughs> we'll leave that in the Lord's hands. If you're satisfied that way, anyway. As I thought about peace, I one of the questions I ask myself, you know, is there anything that should disturb the... <clears throat> pardon me. Is there anything that should disturb the Christian's peace? Is there anything that really should disturb my peace? And I'm not sure that I've totally thought through it. But there is one thing that immediately came to my mind, and I think there is one thing that should disturb our peace as Christians, and that's, that's if there is sin in, in our lives around us. Sin is the one thing that I believe can disturb our peace if we're not careful. Personally, if sin is in my life, it should disturb me and should disturb that peace. That's the way God wants it. We, we, if, if our peace is disturbed, we need to look. Now, if there's sin in other people's lives, I think it ought to disturb us to the point that we want to do something about it. As Christians, I believe he calls us to be, to be peaceable. In your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And I, I contemplated whether I should read this entire chapter or not. There's 40 verses. And the struggle that I always come with is I, I believe God's word and God's spirit can do more than any of the words that I, and you'll see this here in this text here. Uh, so I'm going to read these 40 verses, and you concentrate on a number of things. Look for things that that could disturb peace or reasons that would disturb peace, and then look at at the uh, the answer to those those issues. And as I read through this, allow God's spirit to speak to you rather than me necessarily putting words together with it. Because I believe God's word is is powerful, and I believe his spirit is powerful. Notice 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1. Follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that ye may prophesy. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him. Howbeit in the spirit he speaketh mysteries. But he that prophesieth speaketh unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself, but he that prophesieth edifieth the church. I would that ye all spake with tongues, but rather that ye prophesied, for greater is he that prophesies than he that speaketh with tongues, except he interpret that the church may receive edifying. Now, brethren, if I come unto you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit? You, except I shall speak to you either by revelation or by knowledge or by prophesying or by doctrine. And even things without life giving sound, whether pipe or harp, except they give it distinction in the sounds, how shall be known what is piped or harped? For if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to the battle? So likewise ye, except ye utter by the tongue words easy to be understood, how shall it be known what is spoken? For ye shall speak into the air. There are, it may be, so many kinds of voices in the world, and none of them is without signification. Therefore, if I know not the meaning of the voice, I shall be it, I shall be unto him that speaketh a barbarian. He that speaketh shall be a barbarian unto me. 
Even so ye, forasmuch as ye are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek that ye may excel to the edifying of the church. Wherefore, let him that speaketh in an unknown tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is it then? I will pray with the spirit. I will pray with the understanding also. I will sing with the spirit, and I will sing with the understanding also. Else when thou shalt bless with the spirit, how shall he that occupieth the room of the unlearned say, Amen? At thy giving of thanks, seeing he understandeth not what thou sayest. For thou verily givest thanks well, but the other is not edified. I thank my God. I speak with tongues more than ye all. Yet in the church I had rather speak five words with my understanding, that by my voice I might teach others also than ten thousand words in an unknown tongue. Brethren, be not children in understanding, howbeit in malice be ye children, but in understanding be men. In the law it is written, with men of other tongues and other lips will I speak unto this people, and yet for all that will they not hear me, saith the Lord. Therefore the tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. But prophesying serveth not for them that believe not, but for them which believe. If therefore the whole church be come together into one place, and all speak with tongues and came together, and there come in those that are unlearned or unbelievers, will they not say that ye are mad? But if all prophesy, and there come in one that believeth not, or one unlearned, he is convinced of all, he is judged of all, and thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is in you of a truth. How is it then, brethren, when you come together, every one of you hath a, a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath, hath an interpretation? Let all things be done unto edifying. If any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two, or at the most by three, and that by course let one interpret. And if there be no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church, and let him speak himself, and let him speak to himself and to God, and let the prophets speak two or three, and let the other judge. And if anything be revealed to another that sitteth by, let the first hold his peace. For ye may all prophesy one by one, that all may learn, and all may be comforted. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Let your women keep silence in the church, for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for women to speak in the church. What? Came the word of God out from you, or came it unto you only? If any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. But if any man be ignorant, let him be ignorant. Wherefore, brethren, covet to prophesy, and forbid not to speak with tongues. Let all things be done decently and in order. And my text verse is verse 33. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. What would the Apostle Paul say about prairie today? Would he say that prairie is, uh, is, is an ex- example of of that peace that he's talking about here this morning. I don't know if you picked up on it or not, but there's the, the word understanding, as I, I thought about uh, causes of misunderstanding, uh, causes of, of the absence of, of uh, causes of, of peace to be removed from our experiences, uh, are misunderstanding and conflict and confusion are three things that came to my mind as I read through this uh, chapter 14. And uh, so... 
As I think of uh, the aspect of confusion, uh, confusion denotes a state of disorder, disturbance, turmoil, and uh, you know those are places where we don't we don't like to go. Uh, we like to feel comfortable. We like to feel at peace. Our, our setting here today is peaceful. And uh, as I was thinking about, uh, you know, are there things that can disturb our peace? And uh, I, I received a jury notice uh, some time back, and I, I did the normal procedure of sending, my, sending the, the information back and requesting to be exempt. And uh, I got the reply back saying that my, exempt, my request was reviewed and denied. And uh, so I, I checked with Dwight, and he said, well, that's been the case for several other here in the, others of you here in the congregation as well. And so this week I, I got a further uh, uh, direction on that I'm, I'm due to report for jury duty in July the 11th and uh, at Manorville, at the courthouse. They said it's probably going to take three to four days, likely. It's small case, small crimes case, whatever it is. And... Uh, I've never been in a courtroom that I know of. I can't remember ever being in a courtroom. So, you know, here I'm supposed to be part of the process, and uh, I'm still not sure exactly what the Lord has in mind. I, I still want to plead my my position as uh, a two-kingdom concept that uh, I cannot actively participate in, in the process that's taking place. Whether they honor that or not, I, I still need to... Uh, I need, still need to uh, realize that I am answering to God... And uh, so I want to be, uh, I anticipate and uh, would uh, invite you to pray that God would work something out. To, but could that disturb my peace? Well, it could, but I, I, at this point it still hasn't. I'm just, I don't know, I'm just, I don't know what God has in mind. I'm just uh, uh, waiting to see what, what uh, all transpires, I guess. But uh, I would still like to appeal my, my position. So the... Uh, as I was thinking about uh, the idea here of, of what can disturb our peace, and uh, you know the aspect of confusion, confusion Vine says it's, it's you know it's not a pleasant experience, and uh, it's part, it's a part of the human human life. There are probably all of us have been confused at one time or another in, in our in our walk of life. Uh, uh, it's very likely that we have experienced that if uh, you know maybe people have given you directions to go somewhere and. Uh, and uh, you know they they rapidly spit them out and and, and this has happened to me uh, at least if I'm humble enough to ask for directions you know that's a that's a man thing they say we, we tend not to ask for directions very often but you know when we do and they say it's a left and a right and a left and a right and you know when you get out on the road you finally get them all twisted up and maybe you missed that first right and you know it's not gonna hold out the rest of the way <laughs> and uh, you know so that we miss that first step and and it's it's it we're confused and. Uh, so confusion is not a pleasant experience from a human perspective. But again, that comes back to somewhat of our, our personal makeup, uh, how we handle uh, confusion. Uh, some of us might be a little more analytical and come back and say, okay, we're, suppose we missed that first right. Let's try that. Uh, and, uh, you know, we try and figure out exactly what went wrong or where we went wrong. And maybe we'll ask our wives, well, how did you hear it? And she'll say, well, yeah, you know, I think maybe you, that's, we missed that first right. And so that gives us confirmation. And, uh, well, as some of us may be perhaps a little more, I don't know what the personality type is, uh, sanguine. Uh, we might say, well, look at all the scenery we missed if, if, if we hadn't taken that wrong turn. And, uh, and so what if we, we didn't get where we wanted to go? That's, you know, we saw some, some good scenery. 
And uh, then there are others of us that are a little more suspective or suspicious, and we say, you know, that person, he really did that on purpose, and uh, he wanted us to have that detour, and that that could be true, too. There are We do encounter people like that, and maybe we needed that detour. Maybe we needed to see some things, see the scenery. Maybe we needed to take the time to see the scenery, but... Uh, so our, uh, but one of the, one of the keys I think as we think of, of of peace and confusion, the two opposite, opposite poles. You know, peace is certainly not confusion. Peace is, I believe, trusting God. Peace is knowing God is always there. Peace is knowing that in relation to my jury thing, I, I God knows about it. I'm not worrying about it. Uh, God's going to work it out one way or the other, and maybe teach me some things. Very likely teach me some things. Uh, but understanding, I believe, is a key to avoiding confusion and uh, not having our peace not disturbed. And it's actually, if you would count, if I count it correctly, it's used uh, nine times here in chapter 14. Communication, I believe, is also, and that's what Paul is talking about here, communication in our worship experience, in our uh, in our spiritual and what we ought to be doing here this morning is is building up our spiritual lives. We ought to be building each other up. Our Sunday school lesson, I think it was an excellent Sunday school lesson, and thank you, Cleon, for leading that, and all of the rest of you for sharing what you shared. I, I, I It's encouraging to to have participation. And, uh, uh, but communication, I believe, is, is, a, is a link to our understanding. And uh, there are many ways we can communicate. Uh, we can communicate, uh, one of the things that uh, we can communicate by asking questions, and that, that certainly is a very appropriate way to, to learn, ask questions. Uh, the uh, other way, I believe, there's nonverbal communications, uh, and that is a powerful one, too, as we observe people living their lives, as we observe people living their lives. Uh, you know, that, that is a powerful way to communicate to people. And actually, if you stop and think about it, chapter 14 here in 1 Corinthians, if you go back one chapter, chapter 13, it's the love chapter, what we know as the love chapter. And there, the apostle tells us that love is the most important primary uh, thing that ought to be in our relationships. And uh, as I thought about communicating non-verbally, love is certainly probably the most powerful Element of communication that we can give, even I mean, it definitely ought to be in in the in the assembly of the saints in the church, and it it, it needs to reach beyond that. It needs to be in uh, in our communities. I think people need to feel our love. Good, good communication isn't based on maybe how well I can speak, but rather on how well we love. That's the key to good communication. Speaking is Paul here later on here in, in the chapter. He said, you know, he said. I had rather speak five words with understanding that by my voice I might teach others than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. And I don't know if anybody's counting. I preached a sermon one time here and somebody told me how many words I used. I don't, anybody remember who that was? One of the girls here came to me afterwards and told me. Was it you, Malia? It was Alyssa. Alyssa? <laughs> she told me how many words I had spoken. I don't know if it was 10,000. I don't think it was 10,000. But uh, So... Uh, I don't know if you're counting this morning or not, but I, I hope I don't get to 10,000. I promise I won't keep you past 11.30. But uh, So good communication isn't based on how well we speak, but rather how well we love. And we, the quote we hear many times, and you've heard it before, what you're doing speaks so loudly that I can't hear what you're saying, and, and I need to be reminded of that. You know, I can, I can say all the things right, 
but you know I need to realize that my actions are saying more than the words that I'm saying. Our communication, if you look at verse 3, our communication ought to meet uh, the test of verse 3, 4, and 5, actually. And he's talking about, he says, He that prophesieth speaketh unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself. But he that prophesieth edifieth the church. Prophesying is talking about building up. Prophesying is talking about teaching. Prophesying is talking about instructing. I would... that ye all speak with tongues, but rather that ye prophesy, for greater is he that prophesieth than he that speaketh with tongues, except he interpret, that the church may receive edifying. I don't know if that stood out here or not, but the, the impetus of what Paul is saying here in chapter 14 is that the church would be edified. The church would build up, build up. It's not about self. It's not about my agenda, but it's about the church of Jesus Christ. And as I thought about the church of our church here, the church in general, you know, do I recognize and do I realize how much Jesus loved the church? He loved it so much that he was willing to die for it, redeem it for himself. And then he, he, he entrusted us to men, mortal men, to, to come and to, to build it up. Am I faithful? Are you faithful this morning in contributing to the edifying of that structure? Talks about edification, the, the, some other words that relate to that would be building, instruction, exhortation, warning, advising, encouraging, uh, has the idea of comfort. And you know, it's something we don't think about as often, at least I don't. You know, that, that our words that we share, that the messages that we share would bring comfort, giving strength and hope and consolation. Um, again, this is the kind of communication we ought to be having here today. In our, in our service. It ought to be giving us strength. It ought to be giving us hope. It ought to be building us up. Uh, the Amplified says for prophecy, it says, interpret, interpreting the divine will and purpose and teaching with inspiration. And am I doing that this morning? It's a question I ask myself. Am I interpreting the scripture as Paul wrote it here to the early church? And is it giving you will? And is it giving you purpose? Is it inspiring you to Go out and serve the Lord and to edify the church. Paul dropping down to verse 8. He uses the illustration here of the trumpet that was sounded when the Israelites were called to battle. And uh, he says, If the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to the battle? And uh, backing up to verse 7, Even things without life... Uh, giving sound, whether it's a pipe or the harp, except they give a distinction in these sounds, how shall they be known what is piped or harped? And, uh, you know, if you play any instruments, you realize there's the variation of the tones, whether it's the strings or whether it's the air port that makes the difference. You know, they all, if they all sounded the same, think how that would sound. Uh, you know, even on our four-part singing, you know, it, it, it it's a, to me it's a beauty that's, that's, that's when we don't sing in, uh, what's the word I want? Acapella. Well, acapella. Harmony. Ha- oh, harmony, but there's another word. Unison. Unison. Am I missing something? <laughs> well, monotone for sure. <laughs> oh, when everybody sings uh, soprano. Melody. That's the word I wanted. Now, that's... 
If we all sing in melody, I'm not saying that's wrong. And we just did that the other Sunday, didn't we? Were, I think Roderick had a mix-up there on the... Uh, well, he had some of us sing on melody, some of the men sing on melody. But, you know, gen- generally, the four-part music, singing, a cappella music, is, uh, I think, pretty, and it's good. And uh, But, you know, he's saying here, Paul's saying here in chapter 7, in verse 7 of chapter 14, he says, even the things that don't have life, you know, it's it's a variation. And I And this takes me back to my childhood. I... And maybe you remember this story before. There was an occasion that our family would attend a, the Central Pennsylvania Gospel Band, uh, Lebanon Valley Gospel Band up at Mount Gretna Sunday afternoon, Sunday evenings. They'd give programs there at the campground. And they were holding us people, Pentecostal. They got a little lively. But uh, I remember on several occasions, particularly what I remember about this, there was one man, I don't even know what instrument he played, but it was some big horn that stood about as tall as him. And he was playing there in the corner up front, and he'd stick his arm down the, the throat of that, that horn to, to make the, help make the variation of the, of the sounds that he wanted. Now I'm not saying we should go around sticking our hands down other people's throats to get the tones that we want. I mean, we might get tones, but it would not be edifying, okay? But, uh, you know, God's saying that we, our, our differences are different, uh, they do not need to be a threat to peace. We like that. God has designed us to like variation. But it, I, on the other hand, it has to be edifying. It has to be upbuilding. So there's there's a balance between variation. There's a balance between edifying. And uh, again, the purpose, and, and that to me is is the key. The purpose is that we would be built up, and also that God would be glorified. And when those when any, when, it, when those are violated, when God isn't glorified and self is lifted up, you know that's that's when we cross the line between. Doing and being what God wants us to be, and, and worshiping. You know, I, I thought about Paul is talking here about order in our in our worship services, and I I like the confidence that Paul says, "For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints, as in peace." You know, sometimes, and I've heard it said, we look across the, the spectrum of churches today, and we say, "Is there peace in our churches today?" And I, I hope generally there is. But, you know, there does seem to be an element of unrest that is, is there. But I, I was refreshed as I, I, I saw the Apostle Paul's words there. He said, as in all the churches of the saints, there ought to be peace. That ought to be the experience. But, uh, you know, our, our worship services, order is, is another thing that I think lends itself to, to peace. Uh, you know, we, we know what's going to happen. We know what's, you know, what we're going to experience. Suppose, Logan or Roderick would have met you the first thing when you came in the door with the offering basket this morning and said, you know, we got a real need here this morning. That's the most important thing of this worship service to get your pockets empty for the Lord. And, uh, you know, you'd probably been a little bit taken back, you know, hey, what's going on here? Do we want to come to prayer or not? But, you know, uh, and even even our singing, even our number of songs, I, there is value in order. Now, I'm not saying we can't ever mix it up. There is variety is the spice of life, so there is times, and we do mix it up sometimes, and uh, I think that can have its value in place too. You know, we could ask the question, what is the most important here? You know, some of the, uh, Paul was talking about the different gifts here, that of prophesying, that of speaking in tongues, and I think primarily what Paul is saying is really prophesying is what's going to get the job done. We need to teach, we need to exhort one another, we need to be instructing one another, Speaking in an unknown tongue is, is questionable, I think. 
Not saying it, he, he does seem to give some allowance, but there does, he does lay some criteria out. There needs to be somebody giving interpretation of it. And, uh, so it's with caution that we would maybe allow room for that. What is most important in our service? Well, I'm not just here to say this morning what is most important in our service. Is it the Sunday school lesson? Is it the devotional? Is it the singing? Is it the sermon? You know, God can take any one of those aspects of our service and can use it as an inspiration for any one of you. Uh, and and I'm, I'm, a, I'm impressed many times how sometimes people will take some of the most small and insignificant things in the way God's Spirit can take it and drive it home in our hearts. And that has happened, has happened many times. I want to quote, you know, the, the aspect of communicating and, 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 and communicating effectively to promote peace is, is something I can't emphasize enough. And I guess I asked myself this morning, you know, what am I communicating? Am I communicating that which, which would promote peace? I'd like to just quote Sanford Shetler. I have his uh, commentary here on Paul's letters to the Corinthians, and I'm going to just quote him here. And this is what he says. He says, music, prayers, sermons that cannot be understood are of no value. Much of our modern uh, ritualistic and polished worship, unfortunately, does not really communicate to men's spiritual needs. And uh, so I, I think that's a question, that's a good question, that's a good thought condensed. Music, prayers, sermons that cannot be understood are of no value. We need to connect. I need to connect. You need to connect with God's Spirit. As, as I'm saying words here this morning, and it's more than five words, I'm sorry, I know that. But I think five words could be uh, adequate. Think of Jonah's powerful message to the people of Nineveh. I think it's, is it eight words long? Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. One of those powerful evangelistic sermons that were ever preached. City of how many thousand repentant? But you know, again, it, it was it was Jonah's reluctant faithfulness and God's spirit that brought that about, and uh, very challenging. As I thought about communicating, I, I had to ask myself collectively as a body: Are we communicating peace? Are we communicating to? Are we communicating love and peace to those around us and to others? Someone has said four things our worship service should do to us. You probably heard them before. It's not original with me. It should stretch our minds, should tan our hides, should warm our hearts, and then move us to service. Four things. I don't know if that will be our experience this morning from this sermon, but I hope at least maybe it does one of us. Stretches our minds, tans our hides, warms the heart, or will move us to service. Prophecy does not divorce the mind, as we looked here in 1 Corinthians 14. I believe the Apostle Paul is clear that prophesying should connect with our thinking process. Prophecy does not divorce the mind or reason from the worship experience. While the Christian life is not primarily an intellectual experience, it is also not non-intellectual or irrational. All worship, I believe, needs to be fruitful, must unite 
the emotion, the intellectual, and the spiritual elements of our being and our speaking and our praying and our singing together. And again, that's Shetler that I'm quoting. I think they sang it very well. And it will produce, it will produce an element of peace in our, in our relationship with God and with one another, I believe. Following God's order, as we've seen here in the latter part of the chapter, following God's order, I believe, will promote peace and unity in our homes, in our personal lives, in our church, and also in the world. I came across, as I was studying, I came across an article written by Jay Yunt. As I thought about peace, I asked myself, is peace, is peace the absence of conflict? And some, some definitions would say that. I would rather, as from a spiritual sense, I would say we will always have conflict in our in our lives to a certain degree. And I like the way he, he puts it. He says, the world is looking for peace, whether it's in the children's playroom. And I, as I thought about my wife perhaps holding a, a less than one month old baby, you know, sometimes those little ones can disturb our peace. And uh, I also remember Sam Yoder, who was bishop back in 1992. He used to tell us, he said, as we held our little ones, he said, you're at the best spot in life you could be. And uh, his children were all grown and gone, and we sometimes wondered whether he had it correct or not. Cause, and I, I, I can honestly say I enjoyed every. I think I enjoyed every aspect of life. I, I don't know if I want to go back to that, but uh, that's the way God planned it, and that's the way. Uh, but anyway, whether it's in the children's playroom or at an international negotiating table, peace is described as the absence of conflict. Thus, terms are sought to minimize the element of conflict, but this is as fertile as pursuit. And uh, it says the means. This means that it's dangerous to identify peace as the absence of conflict. A forced or negotiated peace may end the external conflict, but the inner turmoil remains. This is true for children as well as for summits of world leaders. And we know that the peace that's nego- negotiated on a world level many times is not a lasting peace. You know why? Because it has not taken place in men's hearts. It has taken place around a negotiating table. And that's about as far as it got. Let me continue on. He says, As long as the human heart is involved, true peace cannot be measured by the absence of external conflict. Peace without heart change is as elusive as a mirage. You all know what a mirage is on a hot summer day when you're walking down a road and it looks like there's water up ahead. And, you know, it's just a mirage. It's not there. It's the heat from off that blacktop that makes it look like water laying on the roadway. Rather, as Christians, our goal must be to know Christ in the midst of conflict. Peace is the fruit of the presence of God's Spirit. And I didn't mention that before, but I wanted to mention that. Fruit, peace, is the fruit of God's Spirit. And you and I can experience that even in the middle of our conflicts. This means you can always know peace. To me, that's refreshing. We can know peace whether we're sitting in the courtroom. We can know peace whether we're in the midst of whatever conflict we may have, as long as we are not responsible for it. Again, we need to look in our lives and see if there's sin there that is causing that. We may never eliminate conflict, but we can always know the peace that comes from knowing the God of peace. Instead of eliminating conflict, the Christian overcomes conflict with the powerful force of good. This means I don't have to control people to find peace. God calls you and me to return good for evil. That way, even if the other person continues to do what is wrong, you can pursue Christ and find peace. You are to teach you, you are to teach your children that they don't have to retaliate to know peace. They are to find peace in doing what is right before God and you as their parents. If you're able to help, 
if you are able to help your children see that peace is found in following Christ, rather than eliminating conflict, you will have taught them a valuable life lesson. This focus keeps the gospel in constant view. Without Christ, true peace is never possible. Every conflict is always an opportunity to talk about our need of Jesus. Your goal is to not so much to end conflict as is see hearts given to Christ. Don't look for peace where it cannot be found. Make Christ the source of your peace and help your children to know and your members of your congregation know that conflict will always be with you. Help them to see that peace is knowing and following Christ in the middle of the conflict. And I can certainly say amen to that article written by Jay Yunt. Just a couple of uh, verses here in closing. John 16, verse 33, Jesus said, In me ye shall have peace. We can experience. And he mentioned those verses there in that article I read. Galatians 5.22 talks about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, and peace. And then in Philippians 4, verses 7, 8, and 9, it talks about the peace that passeth all understanding. To me, that's that's a peace that I want to get a handle on. Peace that passeth all understanding. But again, coming back to the, that understanding aspect of things, I need to understand. And how can we understand everything? Well, I, we need to trust God's Spirit to help us to interpret. Galatians, Colossians chapter 3, verse 15 says, Let God's peace rule in your heart. Is God's peace ruling in my heart this morning is a question I have to ask myself. And then John 14, verse 27 Jesus told him, he said, peace I leave with you. And that's what I leave with you this morning is God's peace. And I trust you can experience it in your daily walk of life.